Good evening, everyone. It is good to see everyone out here tonight. And if I can take a moment to extend the welcome given a short bit ago, it is good to see everyone here. And I uh, just want to say before we get into the lesson that this is my first time preaching a sermon. And if you've noticed a pattern here, we've uh, been looking for a preacher. And so everybody, along with Brother Brian, as you might remember from this morning, everybody that's been up here recently is definitely out of their uh, comfort zone, I think, a little bit. Or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. But um, tonight's topic is going to be something that we should none be a stranger to, but maybe we haven't seen it exactly in this, in this format. And I'd like to take a second just to talk about one of the very best arguments for the existence of God is the fact that design can be proven to exist in the creation. And such design demands a designer. And in this lesson, we want to discuss from a logical standpoint a non-biological example. And that is, so tonight's not going to be a uh, sermon on the creation of the universe or the earth or us, but a non-biological standpoint, and which some has considered to be the most beautiful thing that God has created, and that is going to be the church. And from the very outset of this discussion, we want to emphasize that by the church, we are not talking about any particular organization on earth that might claim to be the church. We are talking about the church described in the Bible. And our first passage tonight is going to be from Matthew in chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 to be exact. And the Bible states there is actually one church. Matthew 16, 18 reads, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Another one for us this evening is going to be in Romans 16. The book of Romans in chapter 16, verse 16 says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And it is that one church that we are going to be talking about tonight. Now, a first cluster of evidence of proving that this design is definitely one of God's finest in the, and we can see and understand the divine hand that took to create it. And it's going to be through the divine wisdom of how worship was created. A frequent challenge of the atheist who we would be explaining this design to is um, why would an all-powerful God need the worship of men? And the answer is simply, he doesn't. Worship is not an ego trip for God. It is a refreshing lift for man, and every act of worship given to us in the word of God can, if done correctly, lift us spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. And so let's look at some of these acts and see their benefits for man. Our first one here is going to be in the divine design of singing. In the book of James, chapter 5, and in verse 13, the Bible says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Another one here quickly from the Old Testament in the book of Psalm, chapter 147. Psalm chapter 147 and in verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. And what better activity can there be to lift one's spirit and relax one's tension than to actively join others in joyful singing? Another wisdom of the worship that we can see is through the divine design of prayer. The calm and serenity, the calmness and serenity of thanking beyond one's physical comfort is one of the greatest human experiences we could probably experience. And if you're still with me in James chapter 5, 
look down just a couple of verses. James chapter 5 and verse 16. It reads, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Another passage to go along with this can be found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and in verse 18 and it reads give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you another point of evidence through the divine design of the church through the wisdom of worship is going to be in partaking of the Lord's Supper to concentrate on the sacrifice of Christ and to quietly meditate on God's love expressed through the sending of his son pushes one's personal problems and cares deeply into the background, or that is how it is designed to be. Um, it is probably very easy for some to consider that to be just another point in our worship and get the, kind of get the day moving on, but there is clearly a divine design in the partaking of that emblem. Another one we can look at here is in the, the divine design of teaching and preaching. Instruction and admonition is always beneficial to one another. And education in God's word is an essential component of growth, and when we stop growing, we then begin to die. <clears throat> in the book of 2 Timothy, if you'll look with me there, the book of 2 Timothy in verse 4, or sorry, chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 2, reads, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will acclimate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That seems very prevalent for today's age. In fact, we might know we're seeing some congregation or somebody personally that has give in to their itching ears and unfortunately it is that when that congregation or that one specific person they begin to just wither away another divine design in the wisdom of worship we can see in the bible is through the act of giving nothing improves oneself image more than to be able to sacrificially give to the benefit of others it is more blessed to give than to receive is not just fine poetry. It is a statement of truth. In the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and in chapter 9, starting in verse 7, it reads, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. The wisdom of God telling man to give is obvious. Another little cluster of evidence that we can see that the divine, see the divine design of the church is going to be through the wisdom of the structure of the church. And nowhere has man more abused the system God gave for the church than in the structure of the church. 
And because a book can be written on these, we'll just take a couple of uh, examples here and, and see how see how the and see if we can see the divine design and evidence in these. Our first one is going to be in the qualification of elders. And we know an elder must be married and have faithful children and a good be a good host and teach at every opportunity. And as the list goes on in places like First Timothy and Titus chapter one, the wisdom of these qualifications is obvious. How can a man lead without having a stable platform from which he can work, such as his wife and family? How can he lead if he has not been successful in leading those closest to him? How could he build the church if he is not an able and enthusiastic teacher? The thought of this role is definitely divine. And maybe somebody knows somewhere where we have taken the divine design of the qualification of elders completely out through a congregation and have implemented a very worldly design or man's design to get the qualification of elders. And um, it, is that, it is at that point which we see congregations eventually fail and, and that is never good. Another design, of, another uh, evidence to prove that this is God's finest design through the wisdom of the structure of the church is going to be through the necessity of fellowship. The fellowship of the early church was something they treasured and one of the strongest forces available against a wayward Christian was to remove them and keep them from being able to fellowship with others. In the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 5, 1 Corinthians in chapter 5 starting in verse 5 it reads, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There's so much emphasis on fellowship logical. Well, the well-known Bible quote from 1 Corinthians 15, bad company ruins good morals, is more than just idle rhetoric. The influence one's friends has on his or her value is known and admitted by all parents, siblings, friends, teachers, social workers, and the list goes on and on. How can we expect to live moral, productive lives if those who influence us in our everyday life are servants of Satan. Another piece of evidence for the divine design is going to be through attendance. In Hebrews chapter 10, the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 and verse 25, the Bible states, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The wisdom of regular attendance is obvious here to any thinking person. How can we function as Christians in an immoral and hostile world if we don't have the means of recharging the batteries, as I like to say? Worship is essential if we are continue to grow in knowledge of God's word. Another one here is going to be through the divine design of the division of labor. The commands, of the, the commands of the Bible to divide responsibility among individual Christians demonstrate a good business sense. And the apostles in the book of Acts in chapter 6 said, in the book of Acts chapter 6 starting in verse 2, says here, it is not right we should give up preaching to serve tables. Pick out from among you seven men 
whom we will appoint this duty. And they, the apostles here are not saying or implying that they are too good to serve tables or simply do not want to serve tables, but what business can operate in a productive way without essentially the, the division of labor. Our next little cluster of evidence to prove of God's finest design is going to be through the wisdom of the conditions of the entry to the church. And the Bible gives certain statements of things that man must do to become a member of the church. A person may do each of these things simply because they want to obey God, and God says to do them. So let's look at these and see if we can see the wisdom in these instructions. Our first one is going to be to believe. The most fundamental thing a person must do to be a member of the church is to believe in God and in Jesus as his son. The book of Galatians, if you'll look with me there, Galatians chapter 3. And in Galatians chapter 3 verse 22, it reads, But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. It is obvious that this doesn't amount to anything to anybody who does not believe first. But some, sorry, but there are those who still seek him, and they are considered the wise according to 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. Our next evidence of the divine design of the church through the wisdom of the conditions to gain entry in is going to be through repentance. The Bible clearly states a person must be repentant, must be a repentant to be a member of the church. The concept of repentance involves a complete resolve in the heart to turn away from evil and those things contrary to God's word. If a person doesn't do this, of what help is his religion to his everyday life? The essentialness and wisdom of repentance is obvious. Our next point of evidence is going to be through confession. Jesus states, Whoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. There are other examples in the Bible where confession is an intrigual part of, becoming, of being in the church, but simply put through this one, no confession from us equals no confession from Christ. How can we possibly bear fruit if we keep our belief a deep secret? Our relationship with Christ must be overt, open, and vocal if we are to be a light of the world. And lastly here, we can see this design being so fine through the commandment of baptism. In Acts 16, the book of Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 30, it reads, The keeper of the prison said to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all were in his house. And they took them the same hour of the night, and washed their wounds. And they was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house, and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he, had, that he had believed in God. In this passage, the essentialness 
of being baptized into the church to be saved is clearly illustrated. Paul and his commandments have been beaten and in prison. Yet the urgency of baptism to do it the same hour of the night was, was, could not be stressed anymore. There are, of course, other ind indications of the importance of this act. Why should God have us do it? It is obvious that unlike our previous acts, this one is physical. No spare of the moment entry into the church is possible. A person cannot secretly accomplish baptism. This act involves a total outward expression of one's personal convictions. I believe this is the reason many balk at the idea of baptism. Their commitment to becoming a Christian is simply not that deep. The easy non-involvement acts which can be done mentally, they will do, but the total involvement of one's whole self in obedience of God seem to be a key factor in which some of our religious friends lack. No man-made institution can match the design of the church. Even though attempts have been made by brilliant minds for centuries, the church is God's finest design. Perhaps the reason Satan strikes so viciously at it is that he recognizes that as long as there are Christians following God's plans, the devil and his angels do not have a chance of totally dominating this world. So it is now time to ask, am I a part of this church? Or have I, or have I allowed Satan's workers to lead me out? Or maybe someone here tonight has yet to follow any of these outlines to becoming a Christian, and you know in your heart you're ready to put away the old self and begin with your role in this fine design that God has created. I ask that we don't reject God's provisions for eternity. Follow this simple, logical, yet brilliant plan tonight as we stand and as we sing.